Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. I didn't know that David Nalbandian was a coach until about 10 minutes ago when Catherine Whitaker told me all about it um, on the telly. And, and we're joined by Catherine in the Amazon Prime Video green room, studio, dressing room. Very cool. How you doing, Catherine? Well, well I didn't know about it until I read about it in Matt's notes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've come full circle. <laughs> Splendid, yeah. So we're, 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 we've, Catherine's actually left her flat, which I think is probably the first time since she moved into it. Um, so there's no Billie Jean today, uh, but you are surrounded oh. by tennis paraphernalia. Uh, a screen, you've been on the telly. She was on the telly 10 minutes ago. Lit, Matt and me were watching, and now she's in front of us on a Zoom uh, talking to us here on the Tennis Podcast. How's it gone so far, Catherine, two days in of the Miami Open? I think it's gone very very well certainly I've enjoyed it I've really missed doing telly broadcasting about tennis I mean I've loved being able to do it on the podcast but um yeah I loved it I love doing both those things and um the the opening day of the coverage the matches were a little bit ropey uh throwing from Sam Curry against Jensen Liu to Steve Johnson against Yannick Hanfman with all due respect to those those players was not the sort of fanfare tennis return that I had been dreaming about um but it's been a really snazzy order of play today Mm. snazzy I wasn't expecting to say snazzy it's been really good I haven't heard the word snazzy since (laughs) the 90s and I've heard it today Matt uh, tell me about David Nalbandian uh, tennis coach just before we get on to everything else Miami Open I just want to know how how that's happened how did he become a tennis coach well, my understanding is that Kecmanovic sought him out. He enjoyed watching him play. He said, I watched him a lot on YouTube. And he thought, that is the guy for me. And he, he wrote to Nalbandian. And they, work, they worked together during the recent Latin American swing on the clay. And I think it seemed to go reasonably well. Kecmanovic reached the semifinal, I think. Um, I found the Amazon Prime video discussion about it really fascinating what makes a good coach and 
is now bandy and a good coach. Greg Rosetsky was saying, yes, he's got that tactical nous, whereas Daniela Hantikova was saying, well, he played off his talent. It's quite hard to then teach someone how to play the game if when you played the game, it was all on instinct. Uh, kind of fascinating. So I'm very, very keen to see how the coaching career of now Bandian develops. It was, it was not something I was expecting. Certainly with Kecmanovic, it does seem a bit random, but maybe it'll work. Yeah, I learned, Catherine, something about protocol in terms of approaching possible coaches from your two studio guests just now. That was very interesting. Daniela Hantikova and Greg Grzedski, I, I didn't really know what went into it, into getting a coach. I think, I think Greg said that you get handed a list of about 10 possibilities by your agent, and then it's either well, I, write I a get- letter or... I get the impression that Greg and Daniela did it very differently. Greg was quite formal about the whole process and there would be sort of a a list of agents that your agent might have contacts with or sort of suggest to you, but ultimately it has to be your decision sort of from that shortlist. Whereas, I mean, this is kind of the fundamental sort of undercurrent of opposition that's always in the studio between Daniela and Greg which makes them a good combo I think which is Daniela's very sort of um not emotional led but sort of um yeah maybe 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 it's the old pole vault head over heart thing but she I, goes I think with her gut a little bit she goes yes that's the that's the best way gut of putting it. whereas Greg is very sort gets, of strategic and she and gets formulaic. a feel for it doesn't she, she yeah she absolutely it. and and Daniela was saying that she used to write sort of long really heartfelt emails to, to coaches she felt would work with her and yeah that's certainly more in the catch Ketch, has done that but yeah <laughs> but even more so so I'm imagining him sort of sealing a letter with a, with a rubber stamp of some sort. <laughs> it's not doing him much good at the moment because he's 3-1 down against uh, Liam Brody and soon to be out of date tennis news. Um, before we get on to talking about what's gone on today and yesterday in the tennis, and the, there's been a lot going on, I'll tell you, we've only had two days. Um, Andy Murray, in our conversation on Monday, was, was going to be playing and now he's not playing. And yeah, it was soon to be out of date tennis news that we didn't even know was part of that segment. This is something that really has hit us the last few days is that there was a point at which we thought, is two tennis podcasts, are there going to be enough, is there going to be enough to talk about two times each week in a non-slam? Crikey, we, we could have done a daily this week. In fact, that, <laughs> yeah. that's, not, that's not a bad idea. Uh, anyway, but Andy Murray pulled out within 24 hours of of that podcast that we recorded you'd done that long interview with him for prime the week before and he was so pumped yeah, thank wasn't goodness he? that had already gone to air <laughs> yeah, otherwise that would have been a wasted day well there is an interview that i did with andy murray on march the 4th 2020 and i'll tell you it was a cracking interview and it is <laughs> no one's ever seen it Only no the one's ever in, seen it in this room have seen it and that's it yeah, uh, <laughs> but anyway, what a waste. the uh, the poor poor bloke though. I mean, he just reading a little bit from the Times here. He 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 just woke up on I think fri- overnight Friday last week and just had pain, um, not in the area that he had uh, an issue with last year, a, a groin injury again, but different side. And and he just said he got out of bed and he just 
couldn't walk properly. I mean, how frustrating. He was already in Miami. He'd done all this training. He'd gone over. He was feeling really upbeat about everything. And I mean, the quotes here, I'm going to swear here because I'm repeating what he said. Uh, but he says, the reason I'm doing all of this stuff is to get back on the court and compete. It's hard work. And now I'm finding it harder to get motivated to do all the rehab and everything if I'm going to be able to compete in the biggest events that is why this one was like fucking hell just give me a break for this one event so that i can compete against these guys at a big tournament and see what i'm still able to do more swearing to come in this podcast <laughs> sorry mom <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's why the e explicit tag is on that, your that was player. just an appetizer yeah um he, he's he was gutted catherine i mean mm. not surprising really but I mean, also in that piece, there is just that question mark over whether the body's going to enable him to play as he wants to play. Yeah, there is there is that line from him where he says, I, I'm not really up for an eight, eight to ten week rehab period. You know, he said, if this is just a, a tweak to get over, you know, rest it for a couple of weeks, whatever, um, then, then I can face that. But whereas, you know, the guy I spoke to less than two weeks ago, it felt like he would run through a brick wall for this comeback just to see just to see if it's possible that feels like I mean I, I realise those were heat of the moment quotes and he's he's crestfallen about it but that line saying I'm just I can't I can't really face an 8 to 10 week rehab period that that was a real insight into how gutted he is and how how high the highs are and low the lows are how much of a I can't think of a non-cliche. What? What's? Is some someone come up with a non-cliche expression for on a roller coaster? Because I hate it. But um, I'm the person who actually sung a line from the Ronan Keating mm, song, Catherine. So you're not going to get yes. much from me, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it just shows you sort of how it, in the moment he is with it all, and it's kind of all a bit of a house of cards. Um, yeah, I mean, I totally understand why he's why he's so gutted. Um, and, you know, every kind of statement that he makes about his comeback always comes with the caveat of if I can stay fit and healthy. And, you know, I, I don't know the human body well enough to know if this is just another massive dollop of bad luck or whether this is kind of an inevitability of having had a really major injury combined with, with ageing. I don't know the answer to that. No, and neither does he, and we're just going to find out in the fullness of time, aren't we? Um, I imagine there are people here thinking, are you going to get onto Vasek Pospisil or what? Uh, well, we will in a minute, but uh, Matt... David's we've... easing his mum in to the swearing. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Uh, but Matt, He's we've... giving her time to turn off. <laughs> we've... Yes, I-, I will give another warning. Uh, but Matt, there's been a lot of tennis already played in Miami, which which I think I'm right in saying is not being played in the main stadium that we had two years ago. This is so this has moved the tournament's moved from Key Biscayne two years ago to where it is now, the Hard Rock Stadium, isn't it? Which is where the Miami Dolphins play, but it's a very different scene. Uh, it's not in it's not the sort of little stadium, relatively speaking, inside the massive NFL stadium. This is the the second court. Yeah, that's right. The The main stadium this year is the Grandstand, which two years ago when the event was in Miami was the second court, is now the first court. 
So it, it, it does have a smaller feel. I think there's 800 to 1,000 fans in per day, something like that, spread out across the courts. I must say, I've not watched the match so far where I've really felt the presence of fans. It's felt like a behind-closed-doors event to me so far. Uh, that might just be because the main names, as we spoke about, haven't really started yet. Perhaps the fans will reach capacity as it goes on. But yeah, I mean, I forgot how much I like the new colours, actually, yeah. in Miami. I, I missed the old stadium. That was a beautiful stadium at, at Crandon Park, Keeper Skane, and that, and that court was, was so iconic. But the colours, to me, I, I really like at the new Miami. It sort of feels like I'm in, I don't know, like I'm in a bit of an aquarium mm. or something. The various blues. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I think I, I, think I might prefer the feel of this grandstand court as the centre court to that massive court mm. within Big a stadium. Time. Big time. I mean, I would caveat that with, I think, had this year or last year indeed been been normal, they would have made some adjust, adjustments to that main stadium. I think I think sort of the the way it was configured with sort of apportioning some of that vast American football stadium into a tennis court and and creating sort of a, a temporary stand. I think they probably could have made some adjustments to that. You know, it was their inaugural year. Um, but it, I, you know, it would still be what it is at the end of the day. And I think what it is is not a tennis stadium. It's a repurposed American football stadium. Um, and, yeah, I'm a big fan of the grandstand. I think... From memory, two years ago, the best matches I remember watching were on the grandstand. The best atmospheres I remember feeling were from grandstand matches. Um, and I'm, it's, it's probably a bit unfair because we haven't had any time to kind of fall in love with the main stadium court, but I'm not missing it. Mm. I'm not missing it. No, no. Well, so, so far, so good. Visually, anyone on TV, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. Um, Tennis-wise, Britain... We're going to just concentrate on the Brits briefly because we've had quite a lot of them playing. Um, Katie Bolter got a win yesterday, and I, I thought that was a, a really good win. I mean, it was against a player in Kristina Pliskova, who'd, who's, I think she's had a terrible run, hasn't she? And she lost like six matches in a row. Don't think she's won a match this year. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Bolter needed the win mm. herself. There was a lot of really positive talk about Bolter, quite rightly at the start of the season where she beat Coco Goff, didn't she, in the Australian Open warm-up event and then pushed Naomi Osaka. But since losing to Kasatkina at the Australian Open, she hadn't won a match. She was on a, I think, three or four match losing streak coming into this. So kind of both players needed confidence. And it was a really quite edgy match, I thought, particularly towards the end. But Bolter, Bolter to me, felt like she had a gear above Christina Pliskova. And when she found it, she was effective and, and managed to get the win. And Greg and Daniela just talking so much about how much one win, getting that confidence can really help you. She's she's unfortunate because she's got Elise Mertens in the next round who kind of beats everyone that she should and is playing fantastic tennis at the moment, really consistent. So it might be hard to build some momentum, but if she can, I don't know, take some confidence into future tournaments, that's that's got to be good for, for Katie Bolton, I think. Mm. Um, we had a, a win as well today for Johanna Conta. Incidentally, ju- it just occurred to me when, when that Conta match was going on and she, she won in straight sets that there was a conversation between Conta and her coach 
um, Dmitry Zavilov just outside uh, sitting watching in the chairs and it it made me think you know I haven't really considered the fact that you're not allowed to do on-court coaching at the WTA events at the moment but you can do this coaching from the stands Um, it's an interesting variable isn't it it made me try and remember I'm not sure Dmitry Zavilov ever did the on-court coaching because his whole thing with her certainly in the first time around with their partnership was I want you to take ownership of your decisions. I want you to be, <laughs> to borrow a Milos Raonicism, CEO of Johanna Conta Inc. <laughs> <laughs> that expression should never be used again. No, but I'm, I'm glad we've reminded everyone of it. Who's, who's, the, who's the most likely of the next gen to use that? No one's using it ever again. <laughs> no one. <laughs> yes, not even Milosh. <laughs> no. uh, so anyway, Conta won. And today, uh, Heather Watson lost last night. G- Jack Draper played today, the young British um, player who'd been given a, a wild card by his management company, IMG, who owns the uh, the Miami tournament. And, um, and I mean, he played really well for a set. It's just that he only played a set. Because it was an hour and 19 minutes and the the poor lad collapsed, literally collapsed, going for a shot whilst set point down with cramp. And it was really distressing, I thought, Catherine. Uh, I mean, it, it, he's all right, I think, isn't he? But it was horrible. I think so. Yeah, it was horrible. He was down for quite a long time. It was pretty dramatic. And the the chair umpire announced that <laughs> that he had retired while he was still down on the ground. At that stage, we hadn't seen him get up even um so yeah it was distressing he just like i don't he looks he looks in physically really good shape to me i don't i don't think it's sort of lack of fitness i think it's lack of lack of experience in that kind of situation i think the the physical stress that that i mean i felt like i could see the pressure he was putting on, on himself it was his main draw debut he doesn't know when his next wild card is coming to any main main tour event, let alone uh, a Masters 1000 event, it, it's all very well saying you've nothing to lose. You're the underdog. Well, actually, uh, I I understand that mentality, but but it's an opportunity, might not have nothing to lose, it? but a heck of a lot to gain. Yeah, heck of a lot to gain, and felt like I could see that stress in him, and that combined with the conditions, which really do look uh, quite suffocating today, humidity wise. Um, it was just all all a bit too much. Mm, yeah. Uh, m- by the way, he, he lost to Mikhail Kukushkin, who won that set 7-5. Um, can Drake, I... Go on. Can I... I mean, possibly my greatest light bulb moment in in tennis analysis in a, in, a, in a long... Well, a long-ish career of tennis analysis today, David. Did you miss this on our WhatsApp group? You're looking completely blank, like the I world's... I did, you know. The world's best look-alike spot passed you by yeah i did yeah what was it mikhail kukushkin looks like the love child of albert costa and radek stepanek <laughs> tell me i'm wrong <laughs> and actually with the internet you can create that now so we should do that <laughs> well i think somebody has it's mikhail kukushkin um, <laughs> yeah. and and jack draper looks like a 19 year old andy roddick facially I does think. he yes he does Okay, it's not yeah, it's not as good as Costa and no, Stepanek, well, I mean, though, is it? N- nothing's stop, as good as that. Stop stop piggybacking off my glory. <laughs> uh, right, Matt, tell us about Anna Konyu, 
of Croatia? Because she's in our list here. Why is she in our list? Well, she's in our list because, first and foremost, she's having a good week. She's beaten Katarina Siniakova, Madison Keys, one through two matches, taking advantage of her wild card. But I just think she's a really interesting story generally which has been very well told on the WTA website this week by Alex McPherson pointing out that there's this crop of talent on the on the WTA tour obviously that we all know about but specifically that was born in the year 1997 you've got Konyu you've got Bengchik and Osaka all born in that year and really Konyu was the first one to make a breakthrough she won Nottingham in 2015 as a 17-year-old. And then a few months later, Bengchich had her breakthrough in Toronto where she beat six slam finalists to win the title. And then in 2016, Konyu had another big breakthrough herself, reaching the quarterfinals of the US Open. And she was so exciting, such a big ball striker, looked destined for great things. But all, all that time she was playing through pain. Um, and I think she thought, the amount of pain she was playing through was quite normal. But suddenly she reached the point where she realised she had to do something about this pain. And basically what has happened is she's had four surgeries on her right elbow. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? And the most recent one was uh, something called ulnar ligament reconstruction, which apparently is very common among pitchers in baseball. And about 20% of athletes who have that are told that they probably probably won't return to professional sport but she didn't even hesitate for a moment she said tennis is tennis is all I really have and it's all I'm good at and it's my plan a and I want to put everything into trying to continue my career while she was on the sidelines she said she drew great inspiration from Andy Murray resurfacing she found herself crying watching that very very relatable comment we've all been there yeah. And now suddenly she seems to be healthy again. You know, she's left no stone unturned to get there. And let's hope she can go through a period of proper fitness and really see what she's capable of. Because I don't think we've seen by any stretch of the imagination the absolute upper limits of what she is capable of. There are more dimensions in her game than I thought. I I had her down as just really, really a power player, but there was there was more layers to her today when she beat Madison Keys, who herself is shorter matches. It should be said, but yeah, it's it's really nice to see her back, and hopefully she can kick on. She she hadn't won a tour level match in three years, and mm. she's won two in two days. Wow! I, I, yeah, I have to say, amazing. I mean, I, I remember commentating on Konyu, um a few years ago, and. Her power, I know you don't want to just reduce her to being a power player, but her power is breathtaking. Mm. The the timing she has, and, and she does it in a smooth manner. It's not just an explosive attack at the ball, but the watching it fly through the air is... She, her, her natural power is up there with anybody in the world. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see um, whether... She just needs to be able to stay on the court uh, and and keep putting in the practice weeks and not getting injured. I mean, it's it really comes down to that, I think, because the talent is there. Um, another one who fits that sort of bill as well is Sloane Stephens, who is a is got to be one of the most frustrating players in the world. We've covered it many many times, and. Um, she is a, a Grand Slam champion. She's been, but sometimes she can't 
get a win at all and she went and sat down last night and then came back to win and actually spoke I think I think quite interestingly about her struggles and and I I guess in a way trying to work out how much she wants to persevere we've been talking about how much does Andy Murray persevere with this but Sloane Stevens it's it's a slightly different problem that she's trying to work out isn't it she just can't seem to get it going and well maybe this is the moment so yeah and she had a really difficult start to the year she lost a couple of close family members and she was in hard quarantine in Australia when she was going through all of that and she arrived in Miami without without having won a match I think since Roland Garros at the end of last year and she was down a set in the in the first round to Dodan and really impressive comeback actually she dug in and started to open her shoulders and swing a bit more freely like we know she can and gosh I would I would love Sloane Stevens to get back to the kind of form she displayed when she won this title um when she won the US Open such a smooth exciting brand of tennis um and if this is the first step towards that then that would be great Mm, uh, Catherine, I, I've just got one other name on my list here, which is Belinda Bencic, which I added because I was really taken aback when you were running through your favourites for the title with your studio guests and Daniela Hantikova mentioned Belinda Bencic and I really wasn't expecting to hear that. And she's absolutely thrashed somebody today for the loss of three games. But why does Daniela think that Belinda Bencic is, is a potential champion? None of us were expecting that, David. There was there was quite a flurry of activity in the gallery to try and find some Belinda Bencic footage. I'd, ha- I'd had a conversation with the producer, you know, let's dig out some archive of all the kind of talking point players. And I said, you know, Svantec, Andreescu, it's going to be brilliant. Got, you know, they're all there, all there. Let's have, let's make sure we have got footage of all of them. And then uh, we're in hair and makeup on the first day, and uh, the producer comes in to talk to us and says, "So, top of the show, we'll talk about who your contenders are. Who, who have you got? Benchich, <laughs> just straight, straight up Benchich." <laughs> Um, and, and and Greg said Lorenzo Massetti, who is exciting as he is, is also not one of not one of the players whose footage was right at the top of the list. Um, she she thinks she is somebody that needs to be in a good place um, mentally and personally to play her best tennis. Um, and I think she, I don't know whether she has any particular, uh, whether she knows her or has, I'm sure she has friends of friends at the very least, but she thinks that she's in that good place. She thinks she's in, um, a good place fitness wise. And I, I think, I mean, conditions do seem to be really crucial in Miami. They're, they're constantly talking about this high bounce, which really doesn't suit everyone, but, uh, Daniela seems to think it'll suit Belinda Bencic. And we now have just just an embarrassment of riches on the Belinda Bencic footage front. So <laughs> she will carry on I so it can she, be used. I hope she does have a run. Uh, splendid. Okay, well, we've put it on a flung enough. Um, first of all, I think we should just, just remember that on Monday we were detailing some of the comments of Stefanos Tsitsipas in his Dubai, uh, no, his Acapulco press conference, in which he'd um, he just sort of slightly cryptically mentioned that something might be about to happen in Miami that could make life a little more troublesome and, and awkward. 
um, but I didn't want to say any more about it. And we had done our own little investigations and and hadn't been able to come up with anything to to suggest that anything was really going to be afoot. But there were rumours around that the Professional Tennis Players Association that Novak Djokovic and Vasek Pospisil had set up with 50 players uh, taking a photo together on the court at the US Open grounds, Flushing Meadows, just before that tournament, um, that they may be about to to try to put some sort of pressure on um, at the Miami Open and further the cause of the players and those that they are representing. Um, they've let their dissatisfaction with the ATP be known over the course of the last six months um, but we but it's all gone rather quiet and I think with, without Djokovic in attendance at this tournament he, he decided to pull out uh, I did feel like hmm, well he's the figurehead so what can you do without Novak Djokovic well Things happened last night, folks, because we were just merrily watching uh, various tennis matches when I noticed a tweet from uh, Mr. Matt Roberts on the At Tennis Podcast um, account. And Vasek Pospisil at this point had just lost the first set to Mackenzie McDonald when he said to the umpire, Arno Gabash, an hour and a half yesterday, swearing alert, folks, the chair of the ATP fucking screaming at me in a player meeting for trying to unite the players for an hour and a half. The leader of the ATP. Get him out here, fucking asshole. Can't believe I just said that. Uh, after that, uh, Arno Gavash said, that's enough. If you need to say something to him, then outside of this court. Pospisil said, why am I even here? If you want to default me, I'll gladly sue this whole organisation. So that happened. Mid match, should probably say David. He'd, he'd tanked. He'd tanked the end of the the, fir- the first set. Yeah, as as a responsible, dedicated member of the tennis podcast, my agro antennae started tingling when I spotted someone on on Twitter post a picture of Pospisil's smashed racket as as he was in the process of tanking that first set, and I, you know, promptly switched screens and got that match on and managed to catch those quotes pretty much as they happened yeah it was it was sort of brewing in that first set I think people could tell he was in an absolutely absolutely foul mood and something was potentially going to go down Mm. but still it was it was pretty shocking what came out of his mouth yeah it was it was a total and utter meltdown I don't think I've rarely seen a meltdown quite like that because it wasn't just anger he He'd completely lost control uh, entirely in those few minutes. And uh, and he's also not somebody I, I really would associate that with. He, he he sort of comes tries to come across in a very considered, measured manner and, and uh, as though he's the sort of college graduate type. That's, that's, that's the, the, the vibe he tries to give off, I think, in his leadership role of, uh, of the Professional Tennis Players Association, as unofficial as it may be. But this was, uh, this was a complete departure from that. So the person he was shouting about was Andrea Gaudenzi, the, uh, the chairman of, uh, of the ATP. Um, and 
straight afterwards, Richard Evans, the respected broadcaster who's been in the tennis world for, for many, many years, uh, tweeted, Being outspoken is fine, but Vashik Pospisil cannot claim to be a leader if he behaves like this on court. Vehement disagreement is one thing. Total r- lack of respect is quite another. So w- what had actually happened, that's the question, to, to lead to this moment where... Pospisil is sounding off against poor old Amparano Gabash, who incidentally was the guy who got the ball in the eye from his compatriot Denis Shapovalov at the Davis Cup a few years ago, and who ins- who I also thought handled this this whole situation incredibly well because it was very difficult and and really not on, frankly. Um, Simon Briggs in the Telegraph has given some background. He says the outburst came after several days of meetings had failed to produce a united platform from which the players could challenge the ATP leadership. There have been gripes aplenty about everything from prize money in Miami, which is down by 60%, to the frozen ranking system and the protocols within the tournament's various biobubbles. Telegraph Sport understands Gaudenzi made this very point to Pospisil when the two men met at a players' meeting on the basketball court in Miami on Tuesday night, with an audience that also included ATP CEO Massimo Calvelli. Gaudenzi and Calvelli had been at dinner when they were called in to see Pospisil by a couple of players. According to sources, the meeting can be summed up as Pospisil listing his grievances and then Gaudenzi challenging him to give the solutions uh, giving, to give solutions to them and asking if he really thought that tennis's deep-seated issues, which were spelled out this week in a Bloomberg report, could be so easily solved. Quite a read, by the way, that uh, Bloomberg, Bloomberg, Bloomberg report, if, uh, if you want to have a look, um, all about... Uh, the, the issues within tennis and its many factions, of course, and, uh, and it says that tennis accounts for only 1.3% of the total value of global sports, TV and media rights, which is a smaller share than golf, hockey or cricket. Simon writes, so who came off better or worse from the basketball court meeting? That'll be a matter of opinion. Almost everyone in tennis agrees the ATP leadership have been all but invisible during the COVID crisis, writes Simon. On the other hand, Pospisil seems to have been struggling to create a convincing alternative to the ATP's admittedly distant way of doing things, and his explosion on the court can hardly be described as statesmanlike. Um, so th- that's what Simon's written and and the Open Court website, which is put together by Stephanie Miles, the Canadian reporter, she gave a little bit more personal detail. She said that uh, Gaudenzi and company really went after him. They called him things like ignorant and uneducated uh, and that he was reportedly in tears afterwards, Pospisil, and still shaken up when he went onto the court. After the incident, Pospisil didn't attend a press conference. He was requested, but he didn't attend. We don't know whether that was his decision or whether there was another reason. Um, But he did tweet, I want to sincerely apologise for my behaviour on the court in Miami earlier today. I disrespected the game I love, and for that I am truly sorry. By way of explanation, I felt deeply unnerved during a meeting between players and ATP executives last night, and I underestimated the toll those emotions took on me until I stepped onto the court today. Again, I'm sorry for my on-court behaviour and the language I used. Hashtag players. I think he's missing an apology to the umpire, personally, but anyway. Um, that's Vasek Pospisil. Catherine, I've never seen anything quite like that. 
I've seen all sorts of meltdowns. I've never seen a player bring a political saga and a row off court onto the court in quite that way and melt down. What, what were your thoughts? What were those thoughts of your studio pundits? Yeah, I think we've identified a, a variety of aggro that we're not into. Certainly I wasn't particularly into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, look, I cut him a... I cut him a tiny bit of slack because of what he detailed in the apology there, motion, et cetera, et cetera. But, but he's trying to spearhead a very grown-up thing, a very, or, or what ought to be a very grown-up thing. Um, and I, unfortunately, I think sort of that behaviour and the immaturity of it kind of reflects the PTPA and what they've been trying to do. Like, plenty acknowledge that there, there might be something in setting up a players association in challenging the the slightly strange amorphous structure that governs tennis and trying to institute change but but the way they've gone about it there is i think there is a real immaturity to it it just seems so sort of incoherent at best i mean what even are they a photo a photo does not an organization make so to some extent, actually, I think the expression of all of that on the court yesterday is sort of in keeping that it just all feels like a bit of a messy, immature, naive venture at this stage. Maybe maybe they do have a very serious um, MO and mission statement and ways of doing things, but we haven't heard about it. We haven't heard about really viable... I hear plenty of comparisons to other sports but i don't hear any really coherent viable alternatives being presented to how things should operate and if you're trying to set up something as important and big deal as this you you probably should have that and i if you do have it i don't see any reason why that shouldn't be shouldn't be made public so I don't know. And then you have John Isner coming into press. It was actually before Vashek Pospisil yesterday. And I know John Isner isn't officially a leader of the PTPA, but he's certainly not been afraid to be outspoken for their cause. And he was really, in large part, backing away from from the whole thing. Certainly saying, look, it's not about the money. He so wanted to make clear that this is not about the money. It's about the structure of the sport and how we want to change that. Um, which kind of runs against everything we've heard about the the main grievance of the PTPA, which is prize money and the distribution of prize money and the decrease of prize money over the course of the last 12 months. So I'm just really confused about what the whole thing is about. And, yeah, I mean, it's just an awful, awful look for bad for the movement. I would say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, we, we've yet to hear anything from the ATP, uh, as far as I'm aware, in terms of whether they intend to take any action um, for, for his behaviour on court beyond the the code violations that he got for, for his sort of general behaviour. Um, Matt, what were your impressions and uh, of, of the last uh, 24 hours? Yeah, look, I mean, we've heard... We've read the reports about what might have happened or might not have happened in that meeting. It, it sounds like a group of disenfranchised players kind of discussing what to do about their grievances. Um, but whatever you think of the PTPA, and we've talked about the fact that there are some 
real problems with it, notably what Catherine said there, the the lack of organisation and structure to it and the timing of it at a time when I think most people in, are in agreement that unity is, is what is required rather than disruption. Also, that Bloomberg piece lays out that tennis does have some real issues and maybe some reform is a, is a good idea somewhere down the line. So it's a very contentious issue, the PTPA, but regardless of what you think of it, I think Pospisil's actions did absolutely no favours yesterday. I thought it was quite embarrassing, actually. Um, and that is not a guy that I would want <laughs> leading me. I don't think it wasn't statesmanlike in any any respect. Um, the fact he didn't do a press conference irked me a little bit. Now, as you said, David, we don't fully know the reason for that. If it was Pospisil's decision, I would find that really troubling i think if you're putting yourself out there in a leadership position you need to be accountable yeah after all i mean sorry sorry to interrupt matt but if the reports are to be believed possibly still precipitated the meeting with gaudenzi Mm. he asked to see them so Yeah. yeah yeah exactly um yeah it just seems to me that it's not been thought through all the way this ptpa and they've um yeah they they may well have some very legitimate points but we've not seen them they say they're still drawing up the bylaws and i just think you know this is quite literally the face of tennis united vasek pospisil he was the host of that program during the pandemic online and tv show basically that, wasn't it with him and bethany matic sands uh, the wta and the atp uniting as a united front to show that tennis was together yeah and then you get him behaving like that on the court it's it's ridiculous frankly um it's a related point but it's kind of a an offshoot discussion is how much kind of slack do we uh, give Pospisil here for that for that outburst on the court. Look, he's clearly an issue that he believes very strongly in, and it's you know it's life is quite stressful at the moment. I imagine things are going to affect you in perhaps unexpected ways, and he has given that apology on social media. But it struck me inevitably. I was thinking about Djokovic when all this was going on, and first of all, I thought it was potentially not a coincidence that. Gaudenzi was, if if the reports are to be believed, perhaps a bit more strong with Pospisil than he would be with Djokovic. If Djokovic was there, would this have happened? I don't know. Um, But it it made me think we've never seen Djokovic react like this on the court, despite all the people close to him telling us that they don't want Djokovic to be involved in all the politics. And it struck me that this was the kind of incident that they had feared that Djokovic might one day give off on the court Um, and yet obviously he's never done that I just thought it it was an interesting insight into how well Djokovic has managed to kind of compartmentalize in a way and maybe that's the difference between someone like him and someone like someone like Pospisil and Pospisil really let it affect him on the court in a way that we've never seen we've never seen from Djokovic and other players you know Venus Williams for example has has been has been involved in politics the day before Wimbledon final. Not everyone can do it, and it clearly it clearly affected Pospisil yesterday. Mm. I did just want to reference as well. Um, Andy Roddick from ten years ago was the was the last player really to kind of lead an effort on behalf of the players um, to to make a, a difference to their conditions, to their circumstances, to their prize money, and he was successful. It wasn't. It wasn't 
quite as formal, I don't think, as this. There was no setting up a uh, an alternative association, but he gathered players and he he put pressure on, and he he was happy to sort of lead that. And looking back at some quotes from 2011, he said. I've been trying to tell people that talent normally wins in negotiations. If Bono doesn't want to go on tour, then it all falls apart for you too. But until we unite as one voice, we're not going to get what we want. That's what he said in 2011. Then later on in 2012, he said, at this point, it's the same old song. The ATP, the ITF, powers that be, are betting against us being able to unify and they've been getting away with that gamble for 25 years, and we haven't proved them wrong yet. Well, I should say, uh, looking up the the prize money as just two examples for the first round losers prize money at Wimbledon and the US Open in 28, sorry, t- 2008 through 2011, prize money in the first round at Wimbledon only rose £1,250 in four editions of the tournament total. Um, and then between 2011 and 20, the same sort of four edition span, so a three year span, it more than doubled prize money. It went from 11,500 first round losers to 27,000 in 2014. And it's now in 2019 standing at 45,000 pounds for the loser in the first round, the defeated player, I should say, in the first round of a, of a, of a Wimbledon championship. Players that have earned their right to get in the 128 player draw. But in 2008, it was 10,250. In 2011, 11,500. Now, Eight years later, forty-five thousand. So it's it's basically quadrupled in that period of time, um, mm. and I think that period of a lot of pressure was what made the the game realize. I mean, you know, they, they were doing well and they'd got to change some things. And I, I and okay, it isn't straight. That's only players that are one hundred and twenty odd players in the world who can get into that draw those draws, but that is a significant difference. Mm. And reading the Bloomberg piece, which you've referenced, that said that 60% of the revenue in tennis comes from the majors, which kind of made me think how much, well, it made me think that that's where the opportunity is for the players to get more money. How much more can they get out of the ATP is kind of what I was left thinking. And as you've detailed there, the slams have really dramatically increased first round prize money over the over the last 10 years or so. And it, it seems to me that that's the avenue where the players are more likely to have success if this is about money. Now, Isner's said that it isn't and it's about the structure and it's about the way decisions are made in tennis. But we've also heard quite a lot of arguments that it is about the money. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. How much more is there to get out of the ATP? Is that who their grievance is really with? Or is it with the slams and wanting more prize money? Mm. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, Catherine's had to go and present live television, so Matt and I are left to uh, to to just wrap things up for this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Just before we go, just wanted to make a mention. We were looking at the um, the order of play the other day and came across the name Butch Buchholz, who, who one of the courts, I think the second court this year, is named after. And he is somebody that I have been aware of all the way through my career stretching back more than 20 years because he was basically in charge of this tournament before IMG bought it about 20 years ago and and he stayed on after that as well to 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 be part of of the operation but he was basically responsible for an event that um was known when I was a, a tennis fan in the early 90s. He was running what was called the Lipton Championships at Key Biscayne. Lipton Ice Tea were the, the title sponsors. And people just used to call it the Lipton. That mm. was the most effective title sponsorship I've ever come across. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I'm biased, but I think Queen's, when, when, sponsored by Stella Artois, was also very effective. That used to get called the Stella. Um, but, Lipton Championships was massive and he was an incredible and he's still alive today I'm happy to say he's 80 years of age he's former player he held roles uh, Matt's written down here uh, as commissioner of uh, of world team tennis he was an executive director of the ATP but he was a real visionary it seems to me Matt and somebody looking at all your research is somebody who just kind of got it you know just got all the sort of facets of what it takes to bring tennis and business and players and all the factions the media together to make something special and and they they really did that this tournament was ahead of with of indian wells back then mm. yeah it's i think this is a perfect illustration of something we've talked about throughout our tennis relived series of the importance of attaching names to a court or a stadium or some kind of monument because 
I've certainly been really motivated this week to look up Butch Bukholz and find out more about him because of his name being on that stadium. And yeah, he was he was an interesting player. He was part of a group known as the Handsome Eight, I was reading, um, which was uh, eight amateur players who signed professional contracts at the end of 1967 to, to play on the World Championship Tour, which kept going until the formation of the ATP Tour in 1990. So he was kind of an interesting player, and then he took up administrative roles after he he retired from playing. But his biggest contribution to tennis, as you said, is is kind of founding yeah founding the Lipton, which is which is now known as Miami. And when it first launched, his vision for it was was a fifth major. You know, Miami certainly when I was watching tennis when I was younger, people were still kind of referring it referring to it as the fifth major. And I, I get the impression that it kind of stemmed from his vision. Uh, Winter Wimbledon was was the nickname he gave it. He was he sort of hoped it would be the first slam in the year because that was at the time when the Australian Open was was in December. And he got Alan Mills, the Wimbledon tournament referee, to help out. And Ted Tingling, the well known fashion designer in tennis, was was a sort of director. And when Miami started, the only two events which had bigger prize money in tennis were Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. And it was him who was behind the construction of that incredible stadium at Key Biscayne. It took five years to build. There were some there were some battles, I think, in the courts with the local residents worried about what it might be used for. But that was a state-of-the-art facility, and it was a revolutionary tennis stadium because it had a 10-metre wall around the court. And that was his idea because he said when he was playing, he, he was unable to pick the ball out of the crowd. People wearing white T-shirts, white tennis ball, he couldn't see the ball. So he wanted to build that structure around the court. And that is now commonplace, really, in, in the main stadiums in tennis. Yeah, really interesting, his backstory. There's quite a lot of information out there on the ATP website and some YouTube videos. Um, I think this tournament and tennis owes him a great deal. Mm. And... and- don't want him to be forgotten hence why mm. we we were happy to see his name on on that court and and to be able to just give a little bit of background for those of you who may not know too much about him right one martin del potro very sad news has had to have another surgery i think it's his knee isn't it and isn't it his fourth surgery i was reading it's his fourth knee surgery since queen's 2019 oh, which was me. when he when he injured himself just just desperate yeah and he's still he's still fighting on he still hopes to play again he still wants to play the olympics this summer well good luck to you Juan martin i really hope that happens for you and just hope you're well soon because that's such a such a shame that you've that he's struggled again like that um we have a mascot this week which is saunders the rabbit who is a personal favorite of mine i have to say uh, i'm absolutely <laughs> think saunders is awesome we've had a lot of love for saunders a lot of people replying to our newsletter saying that saunders is great and we agree yeah you better sign up for our newsletter then you in the show notes get your get yourself on the newsletter list uh i've had a couple of wins in a row i'm absolutely flying now with the predictions it's me and rogue see matt it's me and rogue the the cat who's my sponsor um we've we're a dream team now uh zeus is catherine's uh who's yours matt Mine's Scousel Mousel, and we had an un- an unfortunate week because I 
I picked Andy Murray to beat Lloyd Harris as my prediction. And just before the newsletter was sent, we got the news that Murray was was pulling out of Miami. So I, I hastily picked another prediction and, of course, got it got it wrong. And oh, now David's an overtaken me and I'm really annoyed about it. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, Katie Volta <laughs> came through for me. Um, so, yeah, newsletter next week will have our tournament champions predicted. Um, Billie Jean King, actual Billie Jean King, is the sponsor of Billie Jean the dog, who's with Catherine's brother this week, and they're both miserable about it. Uh, Chris Albert <laughs> Lee is not... Not Catherine's brother. He's delighted about it because he gets to look after Billy. Jean. I'm <laughs> getting in a right mess here. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and a top bloke. And we have shout outs, Matt. And um, we've got to we've got to come up with something for them uh, without <laughs> Catherine here. So let's have a go. Well, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Who are they? They are Mark Brogger. Mark Brogger. Mm. That's a cracking name. Like that. blogger with an R. That's splendid. He he should be a footballer with a, a name like that. Left winger coming in from the left, <laughs> knocking it head header into the top corner. Mark Blogger, Brogger. <laughs> I love where your imagination took you with that one, yeah. David. What about Isabel Cantin? Oh well, Isabel Cantin could be a tennis player, unquestionably. Do we know where Isabel's from? We don't know. Is that but... a, is that a French name? Do you think? Oh, it could be Quentin. Quentin. Perhaps. Isabel Quentin. See, I mean, that could be first round French Open qualified up against Igor Sviantek in the first round, Isabel Quentin. Who else we got? And finally, we've got Philip Kingsley. Philip Kingsley should be a chair umpire at Wimbledon, um, overseeing (laughs) court number two in the third round. Philip Kingsley, yes, is definitely a a chair umpire, correct? I was expecting you to go with I don't know, a relation to Ben Kingsley, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, well, Catherine's not here. <laughs> That's what I, Catherine does. I, yeah. I don't have those sort of reference <laughs> points. I've just got what, imagination, what, what their name could make them be in the world uh, that mm. I know nothing about. So anyway, that, that's what you get when <laughs> Catherine's not here, folks. Uh, so do come back quickly, Catherine. Uh, <laughs> Matt and I will be back as well. We will be with you on Monday in our next show. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Enjoy the Miami Open. Enjoy Catherine's presenting on Prime Video if you're in the UK. She's doing an absolutely cracking job. And, uh, and yeah, you'll get to see her on the telly. Uh, tell your friends if you're enjoying the show because the more people we can get listening to this, the happier we'll be I mean let's make no bones about it Uh, and uh, leave us an iTunes review if you can Uh, tell people you've enjoyed it if you haven't enjoyed it don't tell anybody Uh, and we'll see you on Monday Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.